two minutes. Places for the top of the show. Places for the top of the show. Welcome to Waiting for Places. Thank you. How so are you? I'm great. Glad to be here. Yay. All right. Diving right in. Tell me your life story. How, where did you grow up? Why did you choose stage management? What led you to this moment sitting on Zoom talking to me? Uh, life story. I'm a military brat. So I was born in Florida and then we were stationed at the Pentagon and then we were stationed in Spain, right outside Madrid. And then we came to the States in the late eighties. Um, we were stationed at Scott Air Force Base, which is just on the other side of the river from St. Louis in Illinois. Um, and yeah, yeah, Illinois, 618. Um, and then my dad retired from Scott in the early nineties and we just stayed. In so Illinois, or did you move over to, across the river? Yeah, in Illinois. So I grew up and graduated from high school um, in O'Fallon, Illinois. And then when I went to school, uh, I did my first few years at Culver Stockton College in Canton, Missouri, a really small private college. Uh, and then I transferred to Lindenwood, Lindenwood University in St. Charles, Missouri. And I finished my bachelor's degree there and did my double master's there. And Ooh, double master's in what? I have a double master's in nonprofit management and fine and performing arts management. Oh, you're so fancy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was a TA, so I worked off most of my tuition, so it made it really affordable. That's great. And yeah. St. Charles, Missouri is a suburb of St. Louis? Yes, it is uh, just a smidge west and north of St. Louis. Okay. Yeah, I have extended family that are Ferguson based and then a little okay. bit in Florissant and a little bit in Hazel, Hazelwood. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in that same up. little yeah. chunk of the map. Yeah. So I'm very familiar with crossing the river at Alton. And then basically I know how to get to Ferguson, Missouri. And that's about it. You went a little bit further down, um, 270, like 270 to 70. I went west on 70. You'd be in St. Charles. Okay. And is that where you still are? No. Do you, no, I live in the city. I live in St. Louis city now. Um, very close to the botanical gardens and nice little neighborhood called Shaw, uh, named after Henry Shaw, who founded the botanical gardens. Um, and I've been living in this area for about two and a half years. I was living further. I was living in St. Louis County, um, before this, but now I'm in the city. Mm-hmm. And so you, if you've got two masters in non-for-profit management and performing arts management, mm-hmm. how did you end up on the stage manager side of things? Because I feel I like fell into it. Um, I actually started out uh, in development, so my focus in school was fundraising. Um, so I was a grant writer right out of school. Like I graduated in March, had a job in April, and then a few months later, upgraded to a job with the Missouri Humanities Council. Uh, as their development, um, co- was my development associate, some, some term. Uh, so I was the development person and I did all the grant writing and fundraising. And then 2008 happened. Good old 2008. 2008, bless its heart. Um, and I went, fell back on my old standbys of food service and retail and the only jobs that were available really at that time. And through a weird set of circumstances, was at a bar one night after a show. My my now ex and I had gone to a show for um, Clown Vist Presley. If you're not familiar, look him up. He's friggin' hilarious. 
Uh, but is he stand up? Or that almost is, sounds like a he drag is the name. The King of Clowns. The King of Clowns. He is a clown Elvis impersonator. He's so funny. We've been friends since we were teenagers, and <coughs> um, but yeah, we were at a, at a bar after one of his shows, and I overheard somebody like behind me saying, "Blah blah blah, we need somebody who can do bookkeeping." I'm like, "I can do bookkeeping." Like, what do you need? And it was for um, a burlesque studio that was opening in St. Louis. So I kind of found my way in doing studio management. And then when our stage manager literally ran away with the circus, like literally ran away to go work for Ringling, um, my boss was like, all right, here you go. This is yours now. Um, and I had a theater background because I was a theater major when I started school um, and then transitioned more into the arts management side of things. Um, so I had to learn, and there weren't a lot of processes in place there weren't run sheets we would the script would always just be posted on the wall because our shows originally when I started working with this troupe were like live action silent films mm -hmm. um sorry let me turn my phone volume off uh so the person before me we hadn't really done like run you know run sheets or you know tech sheets or anything it was all right we just paste the script on the wall uh -huh. And that's where everybody would just kind of find their part in the script and where the transitions were. So I, through the help of some friends who were part of the production team, I was like, oh my God, help me. Like, this is a mess. Uh, so we, he sent me a copy of the one he used uh, for his shows in Chicago. And I have spent the rest of my time there refining paperwork and making, you know, the shows run smoother. And so, yeah, I, I took over. I think my first show with them was a Halloween show, which was huge. And then my next show was a New Year's show where three quarters of my performers were at gigs all over the city. Mm -hmm. So they were constantly checking in with me like, hey, I'm at the 360 by the stadium. My first act is at nine and then I should be done by 9.30. So I should be at the venue by 10. And me having to like sift through the script and the run of show and be like, okay, well, this person won't get here till 10, but this act is starting at 9.53. So we can hit midnight on time. So I'm going to have to shift this person down and shift this person up and just constantly moving people around. So yeah, my first two shows were huge. I want to really dive into this burlesque because I probably like many people have never seen a burlesque show. How I have you never seen a burlesque show. I know I've seen maybe once I've seen one burlesque show. And then I once had an actor. She, we were doing a musical and she's a, dancer actor triple threat and then she's also does burlesque mm -hmm. and she had like put together this costume and performed her a brand new burlesque act for mm -hmm. the company just so we could see it and she could try it out in front of an audience Do you remember it her was stage? amazing oh Do you i don't her know her stage name okay. um her name is holly butler and her instagram if you want to look her up is performing pinup she okay. also teaches pole dancing that name's very familiar um she's great and it was, and she does show, of course, sews all of her own costumes and like, mm -hmm. you know, all the tricks where you think she's taking a skirt off and then all of a sudden it's a longer skirt and yep. all that fun stuff. But, okay, first question, burlesque studio. So is that like people are teaching burlesque and you're just managing the classrooms? Yeah. It was called Vanella Studios, named after the founder, uh, Lola Vanella. 
and it was St. Louis's home of burlesque and variety education and entertainment. So we taught adult dance, but we didn't take students under the age of 18 for obvious reasons. Um, but we did adult, you know, regular dance classes. We had adult tap and ballet. Uh, we had a class called Cardio Tees. It was like a showgirl cardio class. Um, then we had our burlesque levels like one through four. And we did bachelorette parties and um, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. And so you were just kind of the person managing the studio. Yeah. Was it a lot of facilities or was it more bookkeeping? It was a lot of bookkeeping, um, just keeping track of registrations and the website. And uh, at the time, because there wasn't Square yet, like there wasn't Squarespace and all the other websites now. So we were doing everything by PayPal. So either cash, check or PayPal. So it was just a lot of, you know, just a lot of keeping all the, the boxes checked and the, you know, the, the budget in order and registrations mm -hmm. in order. Right. And then what is a burlesque show is there a script? In my head, it's kind of this very free-flowing thing where an act comes on and then an act goes off. It depends. It really depends. Uh, like I said, the first shows that I worked with with uh, Lola was called The Beggar's Carnival. And that was um, her partner at the time. Um, her name, her stage name is Sandwich the Tramp because she is a Charlie Chaplin tramp-esque character. Um, so that's why it was a live silent action or live action silent film. So it had a storyline. And then um, we had an all black and white set. So we had you know, flats and we had oil drums that were dented and spray painted white and black. And so everything was black and white. And the shows varied, you know, sometimes it was a simple, like kind of a standard storyline, but then we did things like we did an all Edgar Allan Poe themed show. The, um, and then each act was based on one of the, you know, one of Poe's pieces. Um, and then we've done other shows. Um, we, when Beggar's Carnival ended, we um, moved, we revamped things and made it into a spectacular. And then those shows usually have a theme of some nature, some kind of storyline. And we also do a big show called uh, The Big Gay Soiree, which was a kickoff show for Pride for several years. And those always had an overlying storyline. Um, we did one, we did an Oz show that you know each act was like we had a a three-person tin man act that was a strip act but also uh, one of the people in the act is a color guard instructor so she used her axe you know like with a rifle mm -hmm. so it just depends it depends on you know we've done fully immersive shows we did a, a show called wonderland that was three stories of a fully immersive alice in wonderland set and then each again each act was you know we had a the, the Red Queen and we had Alice and we had the Cheshire Cat. Um, so each character had their own piece. Just, and then we've done other shows that are more variety shows, more cabaret type show where it's MC, act, MC, act, MC, act. So just, it just depends. And how is, is it in like a theater with a proscenium stage and a set or is it like a bar? That's, that's the tough thing about St. Louis um, with venues. There was a wonderful venue that we had access to for a couple of years called the Ivory Theater uh, down in South City. And it was owned by the Catholic Church for a while and it was attached to a Catholic school and then it was an independent theater and then it was owned by a magnet school and then I don't even know who owns it anymore. But that was a beautiful proscenium theater that we got to use. But our big shows that we primarily do with, 
with, that I do with Lola are at a venue called Casa Loma Ballroom. It is um, one of the oldest floating hardwood dance floor ballroom setups in St. Louis. It was what actually floating used, hardwood mean, you know, like a, like a Harlequin floor. Okay. So it's the hardwood that's got the space in between. So it's, oh, yeah, got it. Um, it was actually with, the, with St. Louis on the river. Sorry. I was like, you're on a boat. I would, oh God, that would be horrible. Um, we actually, we, we've tried to work out stuff with the jazz, the jazz and blues cruise people. We would love to do something with them. You know, but Casa Loma has been around, you know, time and memoriam. It's, it's a really old venue in St. Louis. It's owned by a wonderful couple named Pat and Terry. Uh, love them. I've known them since I was 16 when I used to swing dance there. And then when Lola told me, oh, we're doing shows at Casa Loma, I was like, yes, I know these people. I used to work there. Uh, but it's a beautiful, and I can send you pictures. It's a beautiful old fashioned ballroom with a stage where you know, they do a lot of big band shows and this beautiful hardwood dance floor. You know, it's got some still like the vintage accoutrement in the venue. It's just a really cool venue, no curtain, unfortunately, but uh, it's just, it's a really cool historic venue to work in. Mm-hmm. And Which is also the- means some really fun stuff with electrics. Ooh, yeah. And how much are you, are you running the board? Are you? I'm not. Casa Loma, they have um, a man who owns all the AV equipment in there. Uh, he has his own company and I create, it's kind of like more, the way that I run those shows is almost more like show calling. Um, I took, was it Kat, the woman who offers the show on the courses on Udemy. She's in the UK. Kat, maybe. Ballinger, something with an S. But I make really, really detailed spreadsheets. Um, one for the lighting and sound people, one for the DJ, uh, ones for my tech people, and then run sheets for backstage. And my spreadsheet is like three pieces, 11 by 17 wide, if I printed it that way. And then I cut them down for each because, you know, my pickup people don't need to know what the lighting cues are. And my lighting person doesn't need to know what the pickup pickup cues are that my people have to run on stage and dash and pick up costume pieces. They don't need to know that. They need to know, you know, start and stop. They need to know what color the costume is. If the performer gave us any specific lighting cues, usually the lighting notes are make it fun. Or, you know, or sometimes it's at a minute and three, I want this, a minute and eight, I want this, no strobes, no spotlight. So it just depends on the performer. So yeah, I make really, really detailed spreadsheets and I run the show from the side of the stage because there's not really much in the way of backstage at Casa Loma. It's just kind of like a long, thin hallway. So I work from the side of the stage with those. And a pickup crew is basically, it would be like your deck crew that runs on stage to pick up the pieces the performer left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're more or less deck hands. Um, in burlesque terms, they're called kittens, usually, um, which is adorable. But my people are doing more than just that. Like they're actually in like circus terms, they're rousties. So I usually call my crew rousties. Uh, so we are, cause roustabouts. Uh, so we're, you know, moving, if there's a pole performer, we're the ones schlepping that heavy stage pole on and off stage. We're moving, if there's set pieces, we're moving set pieces, setting tables and chairs, unhooking and rehooking aerial apparatuses um performing fire safety if there's fire performers so then they've we've, my crew gets a lot of experience in 
a lot of different areas. And how much is there a director putting it all together into one cohesive unit or is it each performer is really in charge of their own act? Usually each performer is in charge of their own act. We do have a creative team. It's my uh, Lola Vanilla, another performer named G's Louise, a performer in Chicago named Bazooka Joe, another performer in Chicago named Ray Gunn, and um, a performer from St. Louis named uh, Kristen Goodman is our primary creative team. So they put together the theme and we will, though not me, I, I usually don't handle what the talent is gonna be or what the theme is gonna be. They'll reach out to performers they know um, or we'll ask for submissions like, hey, we're doing this theme of a show. If you have an act that fits into that, we'd love to see it. Or we'll reach out to individual performers like, hey, we're doing this show. Can you put together an act for X, Y, and Z? Or we're going to use, we're planning on using like one of these 10 songs, which of these 10 songs would you like to do? So they handle all that mess. I'm so glad I don't have to deal with that. Um, so that, yeah, they handle all of the creative side of it, setting it up, figuring out the theme, figuring out who's going to be in the shows. Uh, and then I just make it work from what they give me. And what are, what are rehearsals like? Or is it really more, there is no rehearsal, they just come into tech? It's kind of like doing corporate events where, let's say Wednesday night, we'll tech the band, because we usually have a live band. Uh, we'll tech the band and the local performers. And then we'll load in anything that's local, you know, any aerial apparatuses, any big props people are bringing in. If there's group acts, um, we'll run any of the locals with group acts. And then Thursday night, we'll tech everybody else uh, and then tech the group acts. And then either Friday or Saturday, it's go time. And I usually get there at like between noon and two or three in the afternoon. And then we tack until doors, which is usually seven. And then show time is usually eight or nine. So it's a long day. Yeah. And how long does the show last? Do you come down at midnight? We are usually, yeah, it's usually about two and a half, two and a half, sometimes three hours, depending on the show. Like our mid, our new year shows are always longer. They're usually three acts, um, like through an act and like a, dance party and an act in a dance party. Um, but then our regular shows are usually two, sometimes three acts. Um, but yeah, each one's about an hour to 45, I mean, 45 minutes to an hour per act. Mm -hmm. And how many weekends do you run? Or is it just the one? one-offs. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of work for a one-time show. We used to be the in-house troupe for um, a local dinner theater, who shall not be named. Uh, but we were their in-house troupe and we did uh, three to five shows a week. And that was, that was cool. Cause it really let us flesh out, you know, they were okay. Like they wanted a can-can, you know, French theme show this month. And then next month they wanted a nutcracker theme show. And then the next month they wanted, so the owner and my boss would sit down and come up with those theme shows and then we would create it. And, but it was nice cause we had, you know, okay, this went wrong on Friday night. What can we fix? For the two back-to-back -back shows we're doing on Saturday and yada 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 so that was nice that we really got to flesh out a lot of things but yeah the the shows that I do with with Vanilla Productions are generally one-offs and is it a new one-off every week well at when we were the dinner theater no it was like 
the same show or we would book, it'd be more of a variety setup and we'd book like six performers and that would be like they'd each do two acts and be done. But the big shows that I do with Lola now, since she's moved to New Orleans, so she only comes back to do where I know. It's, it was such a bummer. I'm, I'm thrilled for her because she's having a great time. She's loving, living her best life. Um, but it was tough when she's like, hey, I'm moving and bye. Uh, so she only comes back to do a couple of bit, our big shows every year. So she comes back and does New Year's, the Show Me Burlesque Festival, um, a show we have called the Shimmy Showdown that is a burlesque deathmatch uh, competition. It's really funny and it's ridiculous. Um, with that show, I think it's usually 16 performers and it's a bracket, like a head-to-head -head. and two performers, like Lola picks two names out of a hat and then those two performers come on and one picks a prop and one picks a genre. So the prop will be like traffic cone and the genre 80s hair ballads. So she and the DJ work together to make just ridiculous, um, ridiculous music top, you know, uh, genres and genre categories. And then I usually supply all the props mm -hmm. and we try to find the weirdest stuff we can. You know, stuff like, again, traffic cone. We've had a Domino's pizza, like the magnet thing on top of a car. We had it like one of the giant Domino's pizza things, hobby horses, yoga wheel. You know, it's just whatever weird stuff we can find like at the dollar store. <coughs> so yeah. And then, yeah, so she comes back and does a several big shows a year, but that's, but we're not, unfortunately it wasn't as regular as it had been in years past. Right. And then how does it work backstage? At Casa Loma, again, where we primarily do our shows now, they have an upstairs balcony. And in that upstairs area, they have two dressing rooms. Um, and we will curtain off the back, like quarter of the balcony. It's a big, like oval shaped balcony. And we'll block off um, the back stairs. And then like from the dressing rooms back. And that's where we have our hospitality area and the performers can sit up there and watch in between their acts and then they can enter through the back stairway down by the stage. Um, so yeah, that's not a lot of setup, thank goodness. Right, right. And have you ever had any problems with professional behavior backstage? You know what I mean? I mean, people are running around naked. We have, well, I try to run a really tight ship and we have what we call a creeper, creeper patrol or goon squad, whatever the preferred term. That's our security team. Um, and I will say for the most part, burlesque performers are generally very, very respectful of each other's space and um, people's boundaries because everybody's naked. You know, we don't allow photographers backstage um, without prior permission, because sometimes people want candid shots, um, but the photographers always have to ask, like, "Hey guys, my name's so and so. I'm going to be, you know, shooting backstage today. If you don't want your picture taken, please let me know, and I'll either crop you out or I will not shoot something where you're in that frame." So we have security guards blocking, you know, standing by the curtains for um, the two backstage entrances, and then. You know, the, again, the performers are usually very respectful of each other's space and bodies. And because we do work with a lot of the same performers, there's a lot of rapport 
and it is a very small community. Everybody is knows everybody or they're related. It's kind of like the degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's mm -hmm. you either know somebody or you know the person who knows that person who knows that person. So backstage is usually pretty professional. The, the we call it running on burlesque time is the only thing that really drives me crazy is I want to start no later than 9.05 if the start time is nine and I'm having to chase down people and be like, you're on in five minutes. The show is starting in five minutes and you don't have your pasties on yet. You don't have your hair on yet. You need to get your ass moving. So that's really the, once we get moving, it's fine. But it's usually that reminding people like, hey, stop talking, stop chit-chatting, put your face on. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really the only unprofessional thing that I have to deal with backstage is just keeping people on task. So and how does, um, no, and how does it work? Cause you said new year's, like a performer would be coming from one venue to another and you'd have to redo the thing. Mm -hmm. Is that common where do you, or do you have everyone like, Thankfully, is there a half hour call? Thankfully that hasn't been as common in the last few years. Um, but that was probably one of the most nerve wracking shows of my life. Uh, we do have a call time because again, we, we try to run as many acts and rehearse things before doors. Um, I have some performers that I know they're not on until the second half They're They let me know like, Hey, I don't want to get ready in the dressing room because it gets too crowded. You know, I live five minutes from the venue. I will be there by nine. Like, or I will be there by like 930 because I know the second half isn't going to start till at least 10. So I'm not going to get there until shortly before I have to go on. And as long as that's communicated, that's totally fine. And as long as they keep giving me updates, if they're running late, you know, it, it does get cramped. It's not a humongous dressing room. Um, sorry, I'm rambling and I kind of forgot what the question was. No, you answered it. Okay. And, and then how do you communicate backstage? Do you have a God mic? Do you have a headset? Or is it kind of like, here's your spreadsheets, good luck? A lot of it is me running around because the venue is so loud that headsets don't work very well. We do have walkies. Like I've got a set of, I think 20 walkies and you know earpieces, you know, nothing fancy. They're no Qualcomm, they're, they're just Amazon walkie talkies but only a few of us are allowed to have them because so many people don't know how to use them. And it's just gotten to be, you know, you're standing there talking to a performer and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, because somebody leaned on the call button or they're talking like this because they don't know how to hold it away from their face. Or they don't know to hold the button down, wait, then talk. So only certain people are allowed to have headsets nowadays. But I have, um, my my crew and it's either me or my crew members keeping people making sure that they're on task but the spreadsheets get taped up everywhere run of show is taped up multiple spots in the dressing room it's in the hospitality area it's backstage it's on the back stairs it's taped up on the pillar right by where my crew stands it's everywhere so we do and i tell the performers i'm like you're all professionals I'm going to treat you like professionals until you give me a reason not to. So I'm expecting you to keep track of where we are in the show. If you have questions or you need help with that, 
communicate that and I will send someone to come get you. But you know the four performers ahead of you. It has the song listed next to the performer name. So when you hear, you know, somewhere over the rainbow, you know that you're in two acts. So you should be ready to go and be on deck. But there has been many, not many a time that I've had to go sprinting up the stairs and running across the venue. Where the hell is so and so? They're out smoking a cigarette. Are you kidding me? And then running back down the stairs and then down the stairs outside and grabbing them and running them inside. And like, you are on next. Like, what are you doing? Get inside. But um, again, over the years, the performers have gotten better and better um, about being on time and being on deck and ready to go and checking in with me or my crew when they come downstairs, just like, hey, I'm here. I'm gonna sit over in the corner out of the way. Um, so if you don't see me right away, it's because I'm sitting over here, but I just wanna let you know that I'm ready to go. You know, so yeah, the, the performers have gotten ever since, like it was a different format. I mean, burlesque runs on a different format and these people are more theatrical than they're used to having a call in a you know, chorus. You know, this is your five minute call. We don't have that. We don't have the way to do that. So yeah, people have gotten really good about staying on task and staying on time. But there are, like again, there are the occasion that I do have to go sprinting across the venue, you know, and tracking somebody down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Okay, I feel like I've answered all my questions about burlesque. So I'm gonna go back to St. Louis. Did you ever want to move out of that area? I mean, you moved, you lived all over the world as a kid and it feels like you'd now been in St. Louis for going on a decade? I've been here since 89. Well, I've been in the area since 89 and I've lived on this side of the river since um, going away to school in 2000. So I've been more or less Missouri side for 20 years. Uh, yes, I mean, probably God, 14 ish years ago, my partner at the time and I had talked about moving to um, Redwood City, California. We were looking to move out there, and then my dad got sick, and that kind of shut everything down. He had pancreatic cancer, um, he unfortunately, did pass a year later, and then so it was just my mom on her own. So um, I love St. Louis for the most part. So it's not, it hasn't been a hardship for me to stay here. Um, Work-wise, it's kind of tough because there's not, there's not a whole lot of work, especially in like traditional theaters. There's not a whole lot of work in St. Louis because I'm not in anyone's, as has been talked about on some of the, you know, webinars, the you're the stage manager in the SMA webinars. I'm not in someone's stable, you know, air quotes per se. I'm not in anyone's stable of, stage managers. So because I don't come from a traditional theater background, I don't come from the Webster University Conservatory, which is an amazing program. And I am envious of anybody who got into that program. I wish I'd known about that program when I was going away to school. Um, but again, because I'm not in, I'm not from the traditional theater side of things. It's harder for me to get work. So, you know, that part of it stinks. But I love this area. I would love to do touring, um, but I think I'll probably always be based in St. Louis, but I'd be more than happy to go, you know, do summer stock somewhere or go do, you know, an eight week run at XYZ theater, you know, in Texas or, 
you know, go to Chicago. I, I've done, uh, I did a show in Chicago several years ago. It was a burlesque festival called Jeezy's Juke Joint. It's an all black and brown burlesque festival. Um, so like, you know, I'll, I'll travel all over the place, but I think I'll probably always be rooted in St. Louis. Is that because of family or just because this is your home now? It's, it really is my home now. And again, it's 50, 50. I think my mom would be fine if I moved somewhere else, but she's 75. She's a widow. I'm the only kid in the area. I have one brother in Seattle, one in Cincinnati. So, you know, Mm -hmm. feel, feel somewhat obligated to stay because I want someone here for her. But I know that if I got a job out of town, she would be helping. She'd be the first person here helping me pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really has become home. Yeah. And then, okay. So you're dedicated to staying in St. Louis. Do you ever think about going back to fundraising or getting, um, you... <laughs> no. shaking her head emphatically. No, 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 no. I, I'm happy to help organizations. I'm passionate about with fundraising. I um, am happy to help with sponsorship fundraising. I never again want fundraising to be my primary job. This is gonna sound horrible and feel free to edit this out, but the point I've come to in my life is I decided I didn't wanna spend the rest of my career kissing the asses of old rich white people. I don't wanna hear about your third home in the Bahamas and your second home in Santa Fe. Oh, and your, and your winter home in Boulder. And while I can barely pay my rent. You know, I don't wanna hear about how your kid crashed their third sports car when my car is being held together with gaff tape and a prayer. I just, I'm not, I'm really good at fundraising and I raised a lot of money in the time that I worked in fundraising but it's not what I'm meant to do. I just, I don't feel a calling to it. But again, I'm organizations I'm passionate about. You need help with grant writing, I got you. You need a sponsorship packet made, give me the information. I'll whip that thing together in Adobe and it's ready to go. But I, I do not want to do fundraising as a, as a career ever again. Mm-hmm. I'm kudos and like mad applause. I'm, I'm applauding you people who do fundraising, you do amazing work and we in the arts could not do our work without you. Thank you, God bless, but you do it. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna do it. And would you, uh, if like, I don't know, the rep of St. Louis, St. Louis Repertory, I think it's called, mm-hmm. or the Muni, if they were like, hey, Megan, give up your burlesque job and come work for us in traditional theater, would you do I, it? I've always done burlesque on my own time. It is not a career unfortunately if i could do burlesque and burlesque festival management full-time oh yeah i do it i love it i'm passionate about the art form i love burlesque i love my burlesque family we call my, my glitter tribe um my glitter fam but i've always done it i've always had a full-time job or multiple part-time jobs and done that on the side but if the muni came and said hey we need you you know, the festival that I run, unfortunately not last year or this year, is always the weekend before Memorial Day weekend. If they said, we need you for this, I would help out the festival as much as I could. And my boss would be totally understanding. And I have an amazing ASM 
who I would completely trust that I could hand them all the paperwork and they would do a phenomenal job. So if I had to step aside one year, I would completely trust my ASM and my crew because the shows in some ways have become, my crew itself has become very self-sufficient. They anticipate things. I might not even see that that glove went all the way across the venue into the seats or I won't see whose table it landed on or this prop rolled off the side of the stage into this, you know, the AV equipment. I might not see that. They, they're great. Like they, they can run on their own. So if I had to step away for something, I have an amazing team um, and they're volunteers, which is even more mind blowing. They come back every year, every big show. I have a core group of people that I would trust with our shows if I had to step away. So yeah, if the rep or the Muni call me, um, if they did call me and say that they needed me, yeah, I would, I'd step over there. Yeah. But I'll never and, give it up completely. Right. And what is it about the burlesque that is so appealing? And I realize this is, I feel like this is one of those questions stage managers hate to answer because people are like, why do you want to do it if you're backstage and no one can see you? But like, what is, what is it about the art form of burlesque? And by the way, appealing, nice pun. Um, I just love that it is primarily a female and femme and non-binary and gender non-conforming and queer run space. We control the quote unquote male gaze. We are in control of the audience and of their response and the performers are they're giving and getting what they want from the audience. It's not a traditional art form, but in some ways it is. It's an American art form. Um, I love the passion that the performers put into it. It's not just stripping. Sometimes it is just stripping, which is completely fine. You know, it's all, it's all great, but it can be so political. It can be funny. It can be sexy. It can be ugly it can be horror it can be you can do a burlesque routine to just about any subject matter good or bad i've seen some bad ones i've seen some amazing ones it can also just be entertainment um and i love the people that i've met and friends lifelong friends that i've made in the community um so that's really probably what keeps me there more than anything is the people i work with and the passion that the performers have for it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I like naked people. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? I mean, my mom teased me because I was a sweet Adeline for several years, uh, women's barbershop. And she teased me. She's like, okay, so you left sweet Adeline's because you hated the glittery costumes and the big hair and the attitudes. And you went to burlesque it has sparklier costumes, bigger hair, and bigger attitudes. I'm like, yes, but there's naked people. <laughs> and it's a lot more fun. And I, and you said, like, stage managers, you're not on stage. Um, just the nature of how our shows are, I am on stage a lot, but I'm not, you know, I'm not performing, but I am coming on stage to, you know, pick things up or drop things off or bring things out. If the, if Lola is speaking, I'm sometimes bringing things out to her. Um, 
So I actually have a stage person, like my stage name, quote unquote, is Mama Megan. And you'll hear, like, I'll walk on stage, even in the dark, like a blackout, and I'm in blacks, and I'm running across the stage to go pick up some random thing that nobody saw, or I'm just sweeping rose petals off the stage as quickly as I can. And you'll hear somebody go, Woo, Mama! So, I mean, I love that. I mean, who doesn't love that? Yeah. But I was joking, like, Shh, you can't see me. I'm in blacks. If only it worked that way in real life. Yeah. Right. And then how did the burlesque community adapt to COVID? Because you said uh, previously you were doing some virtual work. Mm -hmm. I haven't done anything with virtual. Well, we did a miniature show me burlesque festival. They kind of threw one together um, last year um, before anybody had done virtual, like any of us were well-versed in using Zoom. Uh, my boss threw together a miniature show me burlesque festival. And again, it's people were using green screens in their homes. So people are stripping in their living rooms in their big glamorous costumes, you know, and their cat walks by. <laughs> um, so burlesque itself has really done a good job uh, pivoting just like a lot of the theaters have about doing um, from home or shows that are filmed. You know, somebody will film their act on a stage. So it's, it's pre-filmed or they're working in venues where it can be um, socially distanced where you know, one performer will come on, do their act, leave. Another performer will come in, do their act, leave. Um, so it, it's adapted pretty well. It's, it's hard because a lot of the money you make in burlesque is tips or for the performers, it's, it's tipping. Um, but again, they, they, at the bottom of the screen, they'll post up like, here's my PayPal, here's my Venmo, here's my cash app, you know, hit me up. And people have been very generous. Um, so the performers at least are making, making some income. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I haven't done any virtual burlesque shows yet. I've helped out and given tips to some producers and some friends who are doing shows, but I haven't SM'd. They don't really, they're not really asking. Mm -hmm. They don't really need me, so. Yeah. The have virtual shows I've been doing have been with a, a murder mystery company. Ooh, let's talk about murder mysteries. Yes. Who uh, did it? Was, there's a company called the Lemp, or there's a place called the Lemp Mansion, um, part of Lemp Brewery back in the day. It's one of the most haunted, supposedly, haunted spaces in St. Louis. There was a lot of, a lot of bad stuff, a lot of suicides, a lot of, bad stuff that happened with the Lemp family. They they were kind of cursed per se. Uh, but the house is still open and it's now a restaurant um, and performance venue. So there's a company called Jest Murder Mysteries. Um, and they, same thing, they pivoted and uh, took their shows. Their shows are generally two performers with a banquet room full of people and the guests get assigned character names and character bios. So it was pretty easy to pivot that to an online space. Um, we go through the actors and I meet before each show and we have a spreadsheet um, and I, I plug in all the guests that are uh, registered from Zoom and then the actors assign all the guests to a different character. And then as I'm introduc introducing people and welcoming them to the space, 
with my accent. Like, oh, hey guys, welcome to Trixie's. We're so glad you're here. So quick thing, see that little carrot at the bottom by the camcorder? Yeah, click that. Go to your video settings. So while I'm doing all that spiel and getting people set up, getting the guests set up and like their Zoom settings where they need to be, the actors are going through on the back end and renaming all the guests and then copying and pasting their bios. So then I back out, this is my background for that. Um, so I back out and shut my camera off and then the actors take over. And then I'm primarily doing um, sound effects and any of the video elements we have, um, pre and post show video elements that we have. And then they take over and they interact with the audience. And then I'm occasionally like having to request people to turn on their camera. Oh, that person left their mic on. So I'm muting that guest because I can hear their dog barking in the background. So that's been, it's been an interesting, I've, again, like we joked about having to learn OBS. That's why I had to learn OBS was because of those shows. So it's actually been a great learning opportunity um, to learn all kinds of new software that I've never had to tackle before. So using multiplay because I'm a PC and I don't have QLab. Um, thank you, Matt Stern, for the recommendation of multiplay. Appreciate you. Um, so yeah, having to learn all that on the back end has been an experience. Right. Um, oh my gosh, I realized I only have 10 minutes left with you. Oh, yeah. um, real quick, mm -hmm. because St. Louis, it's kind of right on the Mason-Dixon line, right? It's like Missouri's a Southern, right there. And we had the Ferguson riots, mm -hmm. which is a suburb of St. Louis, um, where my family is from, incidentally. But has the what we see white American theater demands, has that been a conversation in the St. Louis circles? Has it, is that conversation happening in burlesque? Is it happening in the theaters you're working with? Definitely happening in burlesque. Um, Thankfully, uh, the burlesque troupe that I primarily, again, Vanilla Productions that I work with, we already had, since its inception, we've had a very diverse artistic uh, team. Um, we have African-American members on our team. We have Asian-Americans on our team. Uh, we have people of mixed backgrounds on our team. So we have a very diverse, and again, a very queer um, crew our artistic team and then same thing with like with our production team um we have a pretty diverse i would like it to be more diverse and i'm going to be seeking out more people for my end of the crew um because most i will admit most of my crew is caucasian and i would like it to not be um but the burlesque scene in and of itself and especially our our company our shows are always very diverse um lola does her damnedest to never have an all-white show and especially not an all white, conventionally pretty, thin, conventional pinup girl body show. Because that's not what burlesque is. Burlesque is all bodies. Burlesque is all races, backgrounds. Everyone's body is beautiful. Everyone's body and story is valid and needs to be heard. So that's, a, that's another thing I'm passionate about with burlesque is that, especially with the troupe that I work with and the performers I work with primarily, it is a diverse group of people. And we do create safe spaces for the performers. And we don't allow bullshit. We don't tolerate it. We don't hire people that we know have racist or sexist or classist leanings. You're not gonna work with us. And if we find out that's how you, you are, you'll never work with us again. Um, 
So that's one thing I've always been very proud of working with Vanilla Productions is that our team really makes concerted effort to bring in diverse performers, have a diverse team, and to tell those stories. Like we bring in acts for the Showing Burlesque Festival that might not be performed at many other spaces because they might be seen as too controversial. Um, I had the pleasure of working with a performer who did um, a piece shortly after the Ferguson riots. And it started out as this beautiful neoclassical burlesque piece. And then it, it went into the, um, the song, you know, say their name, say their name. And it's the people who had been murdered, the African-American people who had been murdered by the police. And it was so, I don't know if I can swear on this. Go ahead. So fucking powerful, like goosebumps, head to toe, tears. So we, we bring in acts that again, you wouldn't see other places. When I worked for Jeezy's Juke Joint Festival in Chicago, we had a performer come out and do, they came out in a black hoodie and um, white undergarments. And each time they took off a layer, something was written across that like queer, femme, black. And they held up posters that had different sayings on them from protests and same thing, like, holy shit, mind blowing, so honored to have been part of, you know, that production and that show and be witness to those acts. So I think burlesque probably more so than traditional theater is doing a better job. Not, not necessarily, you know, community wide, but the, the people that I work with that I'm honored to work with um, do go above and beyond. They make they make the effort. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Will you talk a little bit about your pets? You have yeah. very unique pets. Yes, I have four rats. Um, three of them I got from a local breeder and they are um, a Rex hybrid. So they have kind of curly fur. They almost look like little chinchillas and their names are Malcolm, Monkey and Milo. Did not intend to name them all M names. Monkey was the first one because he is just climbing all over everything the first night that I got him. I'm like, dude, you're like a little monkey. And so named. Malcolm is so named because he has a long, narrow face and he just looked like a little, you know, snooty English gentleman to me. And Milo just came to me. And then I adopted um, my fourth one from a vet tech friend of mine. And his name is Alexi. And I adopted him from her because she has a colony and she's a, a she breeds rats. So she has a lot of, you know, rats around and he does not get along with any other rat. Loves people. He's the big chonky boy that you've sometimes seen in the webinars with me. Uh, so he has a separate like rat condo from the other three boys. They live on opposite sides of the room. Neither of the twain shall meet. But yeah, I've had rats for a, a long time. I start my first one I got in high school, a friend of mine, parents got stationed in DC. Mom's like, we are not driving cross country with a rat in the car. <laughs> so I adopted her rat. And then when that one passed, they don't live very long, unfortunately. So when that one passed, I had a few more in college and then I didn't have them for a few years. And uh, my partner at the time surprised me one day when I was in grad school with a rat that he had um, rescued from a pet store. And then I adopted two more and then when those guys all went, we 
kind of fell into two more rats when friends of ours had adopted some girls and some boys and the boys were getting beat up by the girls. Like, hey, do you guys want these? Like, do you want to take these guys on? And they're just, you know, they're like potato chips. You can't have just one. They're great pets. If, you, if you're looking for a small mammal pet, rats are fantastic. They're great first pets for children. Again, the lifespan kind of sucks, but they are, if handled properly, they are very friendly. Um, they're very snuggly and they're, uh, they're just really good, pretty low maintenance pets. Nice. I and had they function well as telephones. If you guys, oh. if anybody was on the uh, connection convention when we did the karaoke, I used one of my rats as a telephone during Gaga's telephone song. Amazing. Monkey made a cameo during that one. Mary Hungerford was like, Did you seriously just use your rat as a phone, as a prop? Of course I did. Yeah. Why not? That's how I roll, you know. Some people have cats. My rat at the right moment. <laughs> What are you a nerd about? I will admit I am not as nerdy as the vast majority of my friends. And I work a lot of nerd-lesque as a thing, nerd-lesque shows. And I'm like, I have absolutely no idea what this is, but it was great. Like, I don't know what, co what you're cosplaying. I don't understand the music, but it was fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm a knitter. So I'm like, I'm super like nerdy about knitting. Um, I love shoes. I will send you pictures of my living room. Um, again, point my, oh, the crown molding in this room. Has that shoes. is an interesting storage option for your shoes. I saw a Pinterest closet where they had did rows of crown molding. I'm like, I have really thick crown molding around every door in my apartment. And I have a lot of shoes because these were all tax write-offs when we were doing the dinner theater shows because mm. I had to be in little black dress and heels. Or I had to be caught, like when we did the French show, I had kind of like a can-can type skirt on and a corset. And, but for the most part, I was in little black dress and heels. I have a lot of heels that I don't wear anymore. Because once you fall down the stairs enough times wearing heels, you start wearing boots. <laughs> so that's my uniform now is either black overalls and boots or a black, comfortable black dress, my utility belt and boots. That's mm -hmm. all I wear when I'm working. So yeah, I guess like shoes, knitting. Um, I, I wish I was more nerdy. I mean, I would... everyone can be a nerd about something. For my yeah. husband, it's baseball. You know, I was, I was a big sports person for also when I was bartending, mm -hmm. I was big in sports. I used to really be into football, mm -hmm. which, uh, was really great. If you're a female bartender, learn sports. It will increase your tips because when you're yelling about, didn't the ref see that that should have been a touchback, blah, 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 sports term, sports ball, sports ball. People pay attention. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. What brings you joy? Oh, so many things. Um, in the before times, uh, spending time with my friends. Um, I really love working with kids. Believe it or not, I actually got into working with children from burlesque. Uh, I was a swimming instructor for almost eight years 
and I worked with infants through about six or seven year olds. And I love working with like two to five year olds. That's really my sweet spot. And I love doing children's theater, uh, theater for children, not theater with children. Mm-hmm. So I there love- is a distinction. I love bringing the joy and the magic of theater to children. Mm-hmm. And I love sharing that art with, especially with kids that, um, that don't normally get to participate in theater. I had a great job with the St. Louis public library where that's what we did. We created small shows um, with three to four actors and it was completely portable. It all fit in the back of an SUV and we would take it to um libraries in the city and then schools in the city, especially in under quote unquote underserved communities. I really, that term, it's an issue, you know, you can edit that out, but it's, I, I take issue with the term underserved sometimes because I just think it's such an overly negative sounding word, but communities, especially where they don't have a lot of access to the arts. So we would bring these programs in for um, early childhood centers and elementary age kids. So we could, and we had a diverse, we always had a diverse cast. Uh, it was never an all white cast. They're usually, if there was a white person in the cast, it was usually my boss. Um, so that the kids we were bringing the shows to could see people who looked like them on the stage. That's another thing I'm passionate about when I, I work with COCA, the Center of Creative Arts, is that we, we do bring it in the before times. We brought in, we would bus in kids from schools to our uh, final dress rehearsals. Or we would do a daytime show just for kids from schools that would come in and see the shows. And same thing, it's like, this might be the first time they saw a a black or a brown person do ballet. Mm -hmm. Not just do ballet, but do ballet really well. And you have stunning choreographies. The dancers we have are amazing. So that's a big thing to me. kids, kids and arts. That's mm-hmm. something I'm really passionate about. And that, and that does bring me a lot of joys. I love seeing the kids experiencing theater or dance for the first time. Mm-hmm. And their reactions are so honest. Yes. Right. You know, when you've done a good job and you know, when you have lost their attention because they don't have Even the capacity. The actor coming up in a horse mask, cause he's playing a talking horse in a show and kids running out of the room screaming because they've never seen an adult in a horse mask and the actor handling it so well, Eleanor Humphreys, I love you. You're amazing. But she, without completely breaking character, cause she was the narrator in the show. You're like, oh, who wants to meet my horse old boss? He's such a nice horse, you know, petting him. And he's a gentle, he's a very nice horse. So handling that really well. So yeah, bringing the arts to kids is a, something I'm, that brings me a lot of joy. Oh, that's delightful. I love that. All right. Well, thank you, Megan, for talking to me today. Thank you. Places. Places, please. Let's go. This was the 12th episode of Waiting for Places, a podcast highlighting stage managers living and working in the central region of the United States. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. It will help other stage managers find it. Also make sure to click subscribe so you can get new episodes every Friday through July 9th. This podcast was presented by Ethical Rioting Productions. I am your host, Katrina Herman. This week on Waiting for Places, you heard from Megan Cahill. The stage manager calling places was Amy Page. This episode was edited by Katrina Herman with graphic design by Nicholas B. Paluha. 
A huge thank you to Morgan Zupanski, Chris Laporte, and the rest of the Waiting for Places think tank, Fredo Aguilar, Caitlin Boddy, Mary Hungerford, and Jacqueline Saldana. Stand by for the next episode. Okay, everybody ready? Let's do this thing. Uh, like Q2, house to half and gaslight out, go.